Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where Doctor Who is watched by me, and then you are told about it also by me. Ah, uh, the, the passive voice. <laughs> <laughs> the passive voice was employed by Kyle. <laughs> cool. Well, I am... Very excited for this episode because um, we're moving away from the problematic fave of the previous serial. And, <laughs> well, actually, before I get too far ahead of myself, maybe we should see what's coming up next for our heroes. <laughs> but the web planet sounds very promising. Um, before we get too deep into it, though, I did want to to mention one thing. All righty. Which was that I, I was looking at our production schedule or chart whatever you want to call it the other day and i noticed that we completely blew right past a an important podcast milestone which was our 50th episode oh nice yeah this one that we are currently recording is our 59th episode so it was actually a little while ago (laughs) well we can celebrate at 60 i guess (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us, listeners. Indeed. And uh, speaking of sticking, <laughs> this next episode <laughs> is the web planet. Sorry, I don't know. Are you ready to? Should we just? Get yeah, that, that was all stuff? I had. <laughs> <laughs> So our cliffhanger from last time was that the TARDIS is stuck. So the doctor has for hours been at his console, and it turns out that's because something is pulling the TARDIS down, and no matter what he does, he can't get out of it, um, which sounds like something a web planet would do. It, so It does indeed. Let's find out more. So, of course, this being a new serial... It has a, a new writer, well, a different writer than the previous serial, but this actually is a new writer. This serial, which is titled The Web Planet, just like this first episode, was written by Bill Strutton. All right. This is the only serial for Doctor Who that he wrote that actually got produced. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, he did write another serial for the third Doctor which was never produced on film, but did eventually end up being adapted into a story for the Big Finish audio productions. Oh, interesting. So I guess in some ways he's done too. Kind kind of, yeah, in in some ways. ways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also for our purposes, especially, it uh, might not matter as much whether he's good or not, because if he ain't coming back, um, then actually that would be, would it be kind of a shame then if he's good? Because then we'll never get another serial from him. Oh, well, we'll, yeah, have, other, that, we'll yeah. have other good writers. Well, I guess, you know, 50 years from now when we've finished the TV <laughs> show and we're working on the audio productions, we'll get to hear his other serial. Yes. <laughs> we'll come back around. If you're still with us then, listeners, then. Uh-huh. Oh, 
bless you. <laughs> also, like 50 years after that, when we finished all the audio productions and we're reading all the Doctor Who novels, we'll circle back around to Bill Strutton one more time because with this serial, he actually became the first Doctor Who writer to also write a novelization of the serial. Oh, all right. Well, um, <laughs> in a hundred years or so, we'll do that one too. <laughs> <laughs> so the TARDIS materializes onto the surface of a pretty barren and empty looking planet. There is a dark sky with a single moon in it. And cool. the planet surface itself is basically just all dirt with the occasional large rocky crag and the occasional small pool of liquid. Cool. Well, uh, saves our set designers a bit of time. <laughs> Vicky's like, That looks a bit grim. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, it was, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. The doctor says that they've been dragged off course, but he's not sure yet if it was a natural phenomenon that did it or if it was done deliberately for some purpose. Hmm. Well, if I had to guess, I'd probably go with the latter, but let's find out together, listeners. <laughs> Barbara reassures him that he'll find the answer. He always does. And as she's reassuring him, Vicky starts to wince as if she's kind of getting a headache. And then the camera cuts to outside the ship. Hmm. Is, is Vicky taking over as our, our resident psychic? It seems like she might be at this point. Susan kind of had some psychic stuff going on. Well, in, in one serial, <laughs> the Sensorite serial. But uh -huh. yeah, I always wish that they'd developed that a bit more. But well, let's find out. So outside the ship, in this barren landscape, giant ants are running around. Excellent. And they're making these loud, annoying, beeping noises. Excellent. Benny, I guess you'll have to wait until I add the sound effects later to hear them. But for now... You're being spared. <laughs> Unlike our listeners and future Benny, the QA listener. Yeah. Well, future Benny, um, sorry. I hope these beeps aren't too annoying. Also, <laughs> I hope that uh, they don't bother beans too much if, if you're listening without headphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back inside the ship, Vicky is the only one who can hear something. It's, it sort of seems like she's hearing this beeping that the giant ants are making, except that she describes it as a sort of humming, which is totally not how I would describe it. She should have said like a sort of annoying beeping. Well, I mean, maybe the actor, like me, uh, <laughs> didn't hear the noise that they had come up with, and uh, the sound designers later on were they, maybe they tried a humming, and they're like, "Yeah, this doesn't really like convey 
the way we hoped it would or it doesn't uh -huh. show up on the microphone the way that uh, we hoped it would. Let's just switch to beeping. <laughs> no one will notice. <laughs> Ian asks the doctor if he can hear it, and the doctor speculates, Oh, she's probably heard an extrasonic sound. You know, the, the thing that young people and young animals hear. <laughs> hmm. It is true that when you're younger, that your ears can pick up kind of higher uh, frequencies of sound. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know how, how like... How extreme uh, yeah, that, that or, can be, or... Or, or... or like if that's universal among all young people and then no older people can hear it. But, you know, every now and then you hear of like people trying to create things that will make young people not loiter around outside stores or something by right. high frequency noises or whatever. <laughs> uh huh. Or you can just hire some giant ants to make annoying beeps. <laughs> so Vicky actually stops hearing the beeping. And they grow up so fast. <laughs> and the doctor continues his work at the console, the center console. Apparently he's trying to charge up a whole bunch of extra power to try to break the TARDIS free from whatever force dragged it here. Cool. So he gets the power charged up. The TARDIS starts to dematerialize, but it's not making the TARDIS dematerialization noise. And, you know, our shot of the exterior of the TARDIS, it kind of like fades out and fades back in and fades out and fades back in. And then like, it's there. It's unable to dematerialize. Mm -hmm. As we see that it's unable to dematerialize, two giant ants and a giant woodlouse approach it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and maybe maybe like the, the giant ant actors union could only manage so many actors, so they have to <laughs> bring in a woodlouse. <laughs> uh -huh. We get this camera effect where a blurry net is superimposed over the TARDIS for a few moments. <laughs> Would you say it looks like a web? It, it does indeed look like a web. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and then either wood lice or ants weave webs, but uh -huh. okay, here we go. <laughs> but on the web planet, you never <laughs> that's know. True, that's Maybe true. everything <laughs> does webs here. Yep. Back inside the ship, everybody can hear the beeps now. <laughs> it's just the doctor swearing yeah. in the corner. <laughs> He's just so mad that's not working. <laughs> uh -huh. Everybody hears the beeps, and then suddenly the camera tilts, and everybody kind of like fall runs over to one side of the control room. Excellent, excellent, classic. A moment later, the camera reorients itself, and the doctor heads back to the center console, and he sees that the ship has been drained of power. The systems are useless. Ah, uh, bummer. The scanner apparently is still working, though. Looks like these ants are just Minox chewing on the power couplings. Uh-huh. But yeah, they, they've not yet chewed through the wire to the scanner. That's still showing them images from outside the ship. And Barbara sees a flash of light behind one of the crags on the scanner. Cool. Ian points out that it's not there now. And like, she snaps back at him. They're all kind of annoyed. And 
the doctor. Like, yeah, it's a flash of light. Like by definition, it's <laughs> uh-huh. not a long-term effect. The doctor, for once, is actually the one to calm them down. <laughs> oh, good. You know, I, I do think we see some growth from the doctor as, as mm-hmm. the serial or as this show goes on. Yeah, I think so, too. He's, Whether that's, you know, actual writers trying to make the doctor seem like he's learning from his experiences or just the BBC being like, all right, I know that we decided to go for curmudgeonly asshole instead of twinkle in his eye, old gentleman, but maybe let's just ease back on that a little. Uh, maybe maybe a twinkle like once in a while. Yeah. So the doctor explains that she probably saw a cosmic ray causing interference. <laughs> it's probably just a cosmic ray. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> uh-huh. Why not? They notice that Vicky is still on the floor. So Barbara goes to help her up and takes her into the other room to lie down for a while on, you know, the sort of like pull out lounges that the TARDIS has in the non control room. Mm-hmm. The doctor tells Ian that they need to do some exploring to find the source of all this interference and figure out what they're going to do about it. And Ian sees the opportunity for a bad 60s feminism moment. Oh, Ian. No need for the other two to come. I'll go and tell them. Hmm. Okay. Barbara comes back from the other room looking for a sedative to give to Vicky. And... The doctor tells her where to find them. Oh, doctor, what a mess. Honestly, one of these days I'm going to have a jolly good spring clean around here. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so kind of doubling down on the bad 60s feminism moment a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I know it's her saying it, and it's like, fine, yeah, characters are allowed to clean, it's fine. But the fact that the writers are specifically putting this line in her mouth and... On, yeah, just following along on because it's like okay, characters are allowed to want to clean even if they're women, and uh, but if this is really what we get from this character, then sixties bad sixties feminism all around. So Ian tells her that he and the Doctor are going to go exploring, and she urges them to be careful. And the doctor gives Ian an ADJ, or atmospheric density jacket. (laughs) I wasn't sure if that was going to be a joke or, all right, cool, cool. I like that. I mean, it's just like a completely ordinary jacket. Um, It's basically like a a raincoat, it looked like to me. It was like this, this raincoat that had these like cool metal, like, tube or pipe things attached to the front i wonder if any parents in the 60s were like sending their kids out to play in the rain and there was like don't forget your raincoat ah uh, do i have to i mean don't forget your adj oh okay <laughs> uh-huh so yeah it's got these like metal pipes on the front and it should apparently help them breathe normally in the thin atmosphere of this planet oh i see it's a sort of uh... Advanced oxygen mask, eh? Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Cool. I like that technology. Yeah, it was was neat. Ian realizes the next problem, 
with no power in the ship, they have no way of opening the TARDIS doors to actually go exploring. Welp. (laughs) (laughs) But the Doctor has a solution. First, he goes and he tries the main door switch on the main control panel just to, like, confirm that it indeed doesn't work. Yeah, I guess you kind of have to try it. And, you know, after he confirms that, he heads over to another device that's not part of the main control panel, and he flips a few switches on it, and that causes a little light to turn on, and he basically waves his big signet ring on his finger in front of the light a few times, and somehow this causes the TARDIS doors to open. Maybe his signet ring is like a battery? Something, yeah. It was not explained at all whatsoever. He just (laughs) does it. Doctor Who magic. Uh Uh-huh. And the doors open, and the doctor, like, chuckles to himself as he and Ian head on out. And after they leave, the TARDIS doors close behind them. Cool. Barbara brings Vicky the sedative that she found. And before taking it, Vicky asks to see the packaging. Mm, well, that's, that's fair before you take medication. <laughs> uh-huh. After examining it, though, she's not sure if she wants to take it. It looks a bit medieval. Mm. Barbara seems almost offended at this, especially when Vicky's like, Well, you wouldn't like it if I wanted to stick leeches all over you, would you? And I mean, it boils down to the same thing. So is this uh, is this the type of sedative that you'd see in like the sixties, nineteen sixties Earth? Pretty much, yeah, it seems to be. No, so so Barbara's but, taking offense at like, oh come on, this is this is normal for us. Uh huh. Yeah, she objects. She points out that these sedatives are from the doctor's supply. They're not like they're not Barbara's. They're the doctor's. Mm-hmm. And Vicky's like... Well, he must have picked them up on his travels then, because I'd never seen aspirin before. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. Uh-huh. I will say that I'm not sure why Barbara thinks aspirin is a sedative, but whatever, it's probably actually better for Vicky to take aspirin than, like, an actual sedative. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe aspirin has sedative qualities. I mean, uh, always thought of it more for like headaches, but Uh eh, what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) As they discuss it, the conversation ends up pivoting to Vicky's education. And Barbara learns that by the age of 10, Vicky was certified in medicine, physics, and chemistry. Nice. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I wonder how many more times we're going to see any sort of indication of that whatsoever. (laughs) Uh Barbara was shocked at this. And, you know, she wonders how much time Vicky spent studying. And Vicky said it was almost an hour a week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our our schools are really, really good, though. Uh Very efficient. (laughs) I guess they had, like, they were assisted by machines. She didn't even know the word for classroom. Like, Barbara asks something about how much time she spent in the classroom and or lecture hall. And like Vicky didn't know either of those terms. Cool. 
I, I assume this is some sort of like, you know, hyper learning or something where they put you in the learning chamber and then knowledge happens. Mm hmm. Yeah, Barbara cuts her off before she explains too much. So I think the writers <laughs> just didn't want to have to think about it too hard. They're like, yeah, yeah, hour a week with machines. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. Very, very sci-fi. Barbara does end up convincing her to take the aspirin. And after she takes it, Vicky notices Barbara's bracelet. That's nice, Barbara. I haven't seen you wear it before. Which Barbara explains that that's because she hasn't had it for very long. It was a gift from Emperor Nero. Mm. Which, of course, Vicky is shocked to hear because she thought, just like the doctor, that Ian and Barbara were lounging in the squatter's villa the whole time that she was in Rome. Uh huh. Also interesting that they have this callback to the previous serial. Yeah, they don't do that often, or they haven't so far. I thought that was yeah. cool, too. Barbara is like, yeah, no, like, it turns out we went to Rome, too. And she promises to tell Vicky all about it, like, after Vicky takes her short rest. Vicky is not sure if she should believe Barbara or not. I'm not sure whether you're making it up or not. I'll ask Ian. He'll tell me. Oh, come on. Hey, how's the episode so far? You can share your thoughts by emailing us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweeting us at doctorwatcher. If you're enjoying our little podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And now, let's get back to the episode. Outside the ship, Ian is just kind of like wandering around the TARDIS He's looking at the matte painting behind it. Cool, cool. He's so like, uh huh. He's you know picking rocks up from the ground, just little hand-sized rocks. While the doctor is examining a boulder with his magnifying glass. <laughs> yep, it's a boulder, all right. <laughs> he finds it very interesting, and he asks Ian if he has something sharp that the doctor can borrow for a moment. So Ian reaches as just my wit. <laughs> he reaches into one of his pockets and he pulls out this like fancy gold pen. But as he's about to hand it over to the doctor, it vanishes out of his hand. Cool. Intriguing. Uh-huh. The doctor just kind of like looks at him for a second and then starts laughing. Oh, that's very clever. Very clever. You know, you've never done that before. That's a remarkable conjuring trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doctor. <laughs> but Ian's like, that was no conjuring trick, doctor. It was my pen. It, it vanished into thin air. Yeah, <laughs> I like that pen. <laughs> yeah, he seems pretty annoyed by this. He shouts, Vanished! And it echoes weirdly. Mm. Benny, this, this time our listeners have the advantage over you because they get to actually hear the weird echo immediately, but you have to wait until you QA it. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor also shouts, and it also echoes weirdly. And Ian 
starts to feel like they're being watched. Whoa. The doctor apparently doesn't share this feeling, but he says that if he lived here and heard Ian shouting like that, that he'd probably come take a look. Ian's okay. like, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. I thought that was fair. Ian's like, I'm uh-huh. taking my pen. It is and, very shiny. Mm-hmm. The doctor starts to realize that it's possible that the same force that dragged the TARDIS here took Ian's pen. Mm. And as he laughs in delight over this weird space mystery that they have to solve, we cut back to the TARDIS interior where Barbara is tidying up. Okay. She pauses in her cleaning to watch Ian and the doctor on the scanner screen for a moment. And as she watches them, her arm raises up toward the TARDIS door, like seemingly of its own volition. And she kind of like stumblingly takes a few steps toward the TARDIS door before like regaining control of herself, basically, and kind of like hugging her arm a little bit. Huh. It's almost like something wants to be let inside. She heads over into the other room where Vicky was having her rest, and Vicky can tell that Barbara seems kind of nervous. Barbara says that there's something about this place, and Vicky's like, I know. I wish we'd materialized in some really luxurious place, you know, lots of lovely things to buy and eat and wear. <laughs> well, we tried that. <laughs> it was just a very dirty mug on a table. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara's arm moves again, and she kind of hugs it again, and Vicky sees this and asks if it's hurt. No. Vicky, I, I know this sounds silly, but it doesn't feel as though it belongs to me. A little while ago, it moved without my intending it to. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's kind of creepy, actually, getting into that whole body autonomy, you know, things making your, your body move. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty creepy. And there's actually some, like, some psychological, psychological condition about feeling that your body parts don't belong to you. I don't remember what it's called, but it is a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember reading about that. Vicky kind of starts laughing, like, you know, kind of a nervous laugh. And Barbara starts trying to downplay what's going on with her arm. But then she stops talking like mid-word and stands up and walks out of the room back into the main TARDIS control room. Hmm. Back outside, Ian and the doctor find a large pyramid cool always uh it's a it, it feels very classic you know and you're in a strange um location to, to come across pyramids mm-hmm. and not, not our first pyramid either i remember um that's true on, yeah uh, marinus the, the planet marinus yeah 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 they had pyramids there and yeah so this is something that clearly was constructed. It was not 
created naturally. And it seems to be super old. <laughs> Better state it in. <laughs> hmm. They walk up to the base of it and they can see that there's something on top, but they can't really tell what it is. It's a pity we didn't bring a ladder with us. We might be able to see what's on the top. Well, it isn't Nelson. <laughs> a bit of a Trafalgar Square joke for you uh, fans in London, I think. Yep, referring to Nelson's column there. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, I'm sure that there have been many references, you know, allusions to things for, for an English audience um, that have gone right over our heads. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that one at least we got. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always fun when there's the occasional one that that doesn't quite go over our heads. Yes. The doctor decides that whatever it is, the pyramid clearly has nothing to do with whatever's holding the ship here, so they should just move on. Ian notices a pool of liquid nearby, and he heads over to freshen up in it. <laughs> Man, again, didn't you learn your lesson in Mariners? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That must be water. Any form of life would need that. Hey? Yeah, I mean, we've got water on Earth, and we've also got, like, acid, poisons, <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> all sorts of bad, bad liquids. And lots of them occur naturally. Sure. Some of them occur unnaturally. You don't know where that water came from. It's next uh-huh. to a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor stops him before he can touch it and okay. asks for his tie. Ian says that he doesn't have one, but the doctor clarifies that he's referring to the tie that Ian is using as a belt. Okay. Ian kind of grumbles about this, but starts to take it off. Uh, my pants stay up. Yes, that's your affair, not mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I enjoy these uh, pants falling down jokes. Always, yeah. Always a good time. Yeah, you can't go wrong with the pants falling down joke. I did wonder, though, like, doesn't the doctor have belts in his wardrobe? Like, why is he even <laughs> using his tie as a belt? Yep. Yep. Good question. The doctor dips the tie into the pool of liquid and it immediately begins to sizzle and smoke, showing that the liquid is some sort of acid. Yep. I mean, I I like these moments when, like, probably, you know, even little kids in the audience could be like, no, that's a bad idea. You're <laughs> on an alien world. You don't want to just randomly try to drink liquid out of the, you know, dip in the ground. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I like it. Ian's just annoyed that the doctor fucked up his Coal Hill school tie, but the doctor doesn't give a shit. You were about to have a wash in there, weren't you? Or probably drink some of it. Huh? You really nearly had the remnants of a Coal Hill school teacher in there instead of this wretched old, ragged old tie. Uh, very good point. <laughs> mm-hmm. As they prepare to continue exploring, a giant ant hiding behind a rock crag throws a small rock into the pool of acid and out of the corner of his eye, Ian sees the splash and starts telling the doctor that there's something there and that they should check it out. 
But the doctor's not into it. <laughs> uh, the doctor just doesn't feel like following up on that clue today. First, he thinks that Ian is just trying to get revenge on him for ruining the tie. But, you know, Ian insists that he's not, like he's being serious. And then the doctor just thinks it's a distraction. He came here to find out the source of interference. Now, I suggest we keep our minds on this subject. Go rambling on. Come along. I don't know. The the GMs seem to be pretty specific about, <laughs> you know, I... I, I'm pretty sure I succeeded on my perception check. What what he, did you roll? <laughs> he specifically asked me for a perception check, and then he told me something even though I rolled kind of low, so probably he wants us to know about it. Mm-hmm. So as they continue their exploration, the beeping noise starts up again, and we cut back to the TARDIS control room, where Barbara can also hear the beeping. Mm. She covers her ears, trying to block out the beeping noise, but looks like this is not effective, based on her reactions. Yeah. And after a few moments of this, the TARDIS doors open, and then like a piece of equipment randomly tips over, and the entire center console starts to spin. Whoa, okay. It spins for like a few moments, and then it stops. And then Barbara's arm raises up again, and it seems to be kind of like pulling her toward the TARDIS doors. Yikes. She grabs onto the center console with her other arm to try to like steady herself and stay where she is. And she's able to resist for a few moments, but before too long, she lets go of the center console and Space Zombie walks to and through the TARDIS doors out onto the planet's surface. Yeah, that's right, listeners. Space Zombie is an adverb now. <laughs> also, she could call out for Vicky or something. Well, maybe she yeah, didn't call out for Vicky. She stopped mid-sentence earlier, actually. That's you know true, what? yeah. I retract. I retract my question. So Ian and the Doctor are still exploring out on the surface. And the Doctor is explaining to Ian that he thinks that the beeping noises come from... Some sentient thing or a machine operated by... Hmm. Well, I mean, these ants may be sentient if... Uh... If we saw them like intentionally throwing that rock into the water mm-hmm. or the liquid, the acid. The, the acid. Yeah. So they continue exploring and we cut back to the ship where Vicky finishes her short rest. She's rolled her hit dice and she gets up and pretty quickly realizes that she is alone in the ship. Mm -hmm. So she runs to the open TARDIS doors calling for Barbara. And thanks to the weird echoes, the doctor and Ian hear her. That's Vicky. Something's wrong back at the ship. Yep. It's kind of interesting that the weird echoes are, are helping them now. Mm-hmm. 
So they start running back toward the ship, but Ian runs right into a trap. And these nets, like, raise up from the ground, and Ian is caught in the nets. I was going to ask what kind of trap, but I guess this planet kind of has a theme. (laughs) He tells the doctor, like, not to come near, but to head back to the ship, you know, figure out what's going on there instead. And meanwhile, the camera cuts over to Barbara, who is still walking space zombily. Uh-huh. And she is walking toward the acid pool. And she walks, like, right up to the edge of it and looks like she's going to walk right into it. But the camera cuts away before we can see. That's, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, if she grabs onto the edge and that will be quite a cliff dangler (laughs) we cut back to the ship like inside the ship and the camera tilts again and vicky falls over to one side and she catches onto the center console to study herself and then the image on the scanner screen starts zooming in and out and pointing all around in different directions and the dematerialization noises start to happen. Oh, yikes. I guess we've never considered what what would happen if the TARDIS ever leaves with only some of the the party on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Back out on the surface of the planet, the Doctor arrives back at the TARDIS and finds it gone. My TARDIS. Dang. And as he looks in shock at where the TARDIS was, the words next episode the zarbi appear on screen <laughs> the what <laughs> the zarbi uh, could you could you spell that for us, Kyle? <laughs> it's a Z A R B I. Excellent, Zarbi. Excellent, I love it. Well, this is this is good stuff so far. Um, I like I like the giant ants. I I applaud us for not calling them giant ants, but I think we might have made <laughs> that pun back when we were on the uh, the planet of giants. I'm pretty sure we did, yeah. I th- we may have even called it the planet of giants. <laughs> uh, and we would have been right to do so, whether we did or not, I can't quite remember. But um, Cool. Well, this is fun so far. Yeah, giant ants are fun. The giant woodlouse was pretty fun. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would know what woodlouse looks like. Just uh, I w- wouldn't have been size. entirely sure, except that it was mentioned in like the episode transcript that I was referencing. Uh, and gotcha. so then I, then I Googled Woodlouse and saw a picture and I was like, Oh yeah, that's totally what it is. Cool. Cool. Woodlouses uh, also- are, uh, I guess 
pillbugs are a type of oh wolf. gotcha gotcha okay yeah that's that's kind of roughly what i was picturing yeah um, yeah these ones in the episodes are not quite what i think you and i probably picture when i say pillbug but but yeah. they're a very closely related sort of thing cool cool well yeah i like it i mean it seems pretty uh pretty cheap so far for our our bbc budget um <laughs> Uh-huh. I, I imagine this type of set, you know, just desolate set, it's pretty easy to come by on the BBC backlot. And the um, giant ants, I'm sure they had probably lying around from other productions even. And then other yeah. than that, it's just the TARDIS set. So I sort of pretty, even pretty wondered cool. if they were like reusing the giant ant props from Planet of Giants and if they like repurposed it into a costume. Huh. That's yeah. speculation. I don't know if that's what happened or not, but but it it did occur to me to wonder. Yeah, I mean, I think all the ants that we saw were were dead in that serial, which I always thought was kind of a f- clever way of saving budget and and making your giant props. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to figure out how to make the giant fly or the giant ant or the giant worm um, walk around or whatever. Right. But so the giant yeah. ants that we're seeing in this are. You know, they they do seem to be actors in a costume. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I was picturing um, more like some sort of wire, uh, you know, puppetry or something going on. No, it's basically uh, a person wearing, like, black tight leggings and kind of, like, bent over at the waist. <laughs> and then, like, on their back, they have, like, a, a giant ant shell, basically. And Amazing they've got, like, cow. their two actual arms in, you know, like, black, you know, skin-tight type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the two two kind of dangly, unusable ant legs. <laughs> Dang, Kyle, you're, you're holding out on us. With these, uh, <laughs> these costumes, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to find out what they looked like, though. That's amazing. Yeah, they were pretty great. Cool. Well, I'm uh, I'm curious to find out what the Zarbi are. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, to cover first before we wrap up for tonight? And then three weeks from now, I get to find out. Uh, no, I don't think I did. Yeah, it's- I guess the the woodlouse is is not as cool as the ants. I'm I'm not entirely sure if there is a person in it or if it's like a contraption of some sort. Mm. But yeah, the ants were definitely the <laughs> the ones I wanted to mention. Cool. Cool. Well, this serial so far has got me caught in its snare <laughs> um, in the web of the web planet. So I'm... I'm curious to find out more um and you listeners can find out more in two weeks indeed come back in two weeks and find out what the fuck a zarby is <laughs> yes bye bye the doctor's watcher would like to thank circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he made for us you can hear it and the rest of his music at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. You can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. I would like to thank Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, 
And I would like to thank all you listeners for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can reach us by email at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com and on Twitter at DoctorWatcher. If you enjoyed the program, please tell all your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Very clever. You know you've never done that before. That's a remarkable conjuring trick. It was no conjuring trick, Doctor. Hmm? That was my pen. It it vanished into thin air. Oh, it's my job. Vanished! Yes, my gold pen! Oh. What is it, Doctor? Hmm? Echoes, dear boy! <laughs> 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 <laughs>